Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 42. And as we've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, this is the part of the Bible where we've got the Hebrew people in slavery in Egypt, and God has said to Moses he's going to bring the people out. And then for week after week after week, we've been seeing that they are still in Egypt. Well, today's the day. <laughs> today is finally the day that we get to read about them uh, beginning to come out of Egypt. Uh, so this is Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 42. Yeah. Before I read, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, and God, we do pray that you would help us to not take your word for granted. Help us not uh, to let it fall by the wayside as we uh, pay attention to things that in the moment seem more important, but that we know really aren't. God, we pray that you'd help us to be led and guided and shaped and changed by your word, and by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 31. It says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. They were about 600, there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt... On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Turning then to our gospel reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 43 to 52. Once again, Jesus has been facing his arrest As he has come to Jerusalem, he's telling his disciples, it's what's coming, it's what's coming, it's what's coming, and now is when it happens. Mark 14, starting in verse 43, this is after uh, the disciples have celebrated the Passover meal with Jesus, remembering uh, what we just are reading about in Exodus. And now, having prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we pick up the story in verse 43. It says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. 
Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to our sermon text this morning, we are in the book of Revelation. We are looking at uh, this. uh, We're looking at this book. We started uh, a couple years ago now with Genesis, and we went all the way through Genesis, and we looked at God's good beginning of His world, and after creating everything and putting everything, uh, making this a place for everything and putting everything in its place, God looks back at the whole thing and stands back and looks at it and says, it is very good, right? And so you open the first pages of the Bible and you read this and you're like, oh, that's great. And if you stop right there and you close the Bible and you look around at the world today, you go, well, now wait a second. I mean, I see that there are great things about this world. I see that there is amazing goodness uh, all around, but that's not all I see. In fact, there's a lot that seems like it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so you go back to the Bible and you go (laughs) pick up in Genesis again and you start reading and you read in chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and on and following and you realize what the problem is. (laughs) That in the beginning, God has made everything very good But he also gave people a choice to live with him, to trust him, to follow him, or not. And starting from the very first people on to everyone else, the choice seems to be, no, we choose not. And this is why we see people not in right relationship with God, not in right relationship with each other, not in right relationship with the creation And so we read this story all through Genesis. And as you go through the book of Genesis, like it starts so good. And then right after that, it's like, ooh, well, that's that's not great. But, but you know, God has a plan of getting things fixed again. So we see that Genesis 3.15 is where we first start hearing that, about the one who's going to be born from a woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Okay. So this is what we're looking forward to. At some point, it's going to get fixed. And as you go through the rest of the book of Genesis, you keep waiting for that person to come, and they don't come. Oh, maybe it's going to be Abraham. Turns out it's not Abraham. Well, maybe it's going to be Isaac. Well, maybe it's going to be Jacob. It's not Jacob. (laughs) And it's none of them. Well, maybe it's going to be Joseph. It's not Joseph. And you get to the end, and it seems like the whole story has taken this downward spiral that what begins so good has just fallen further and further away from the way things are supposed to be. And yes, you do see bright, shining light moments in the midst of the story of this uh, downward decline. And those are the moments where God is, uh, is working with his people to say, I'm not, I've not left you abandoned. This story is not over. I am still going to do what I said I was going to do. And this world and our relationship will be good again. So we went from Genesis then 
straight over to Genesis, to Revelation. And, um, and so we have been looking at you know, how, what then explains what we're living through now. We've, you know, the Genesis was before Jesus is born and, um, and dies on the cross and is resurrected to new life. And then we look at Revelation, a vision that is given uh, to the church. And it is the vision of God's victory in Christ Jesus, revealed to the church. And it's this revealing. That's where you get the word revelation. (laughs) This is what it is. It's revealing that this is how God has won the victory in Christ and what that means then moving forward. And so we see this in all kinds of uh, visionary language as we go through, and it is a rich, rich book that draws on the whole rest of the Bible. And you see connections all over the place with what it's done. And it is written to, specifically, um, when it was written, was written to these churches who were trying to follow Jesus in a time where the, uh, the whole culture that they were living in seemed to be not particularly warm to that. <laughs> in fact, there was increasing persecution where people were actually um, being not only treated poorly and cut out of um, some of the economic and social life of the Roman Empire, but even people who'd been killed at this point, and it looked like that was on the rise. And so the question that people are facing then is, is this worth it? Is it worth it to continue to follow Jesus in the midst of all the uh, cultural problems we're facing? Is God going to ever do anything about all of the things that have been uh, causing such problems to his good world? And in Revelation, we do get the answers to those questions, which, of course, yes, it is absolutely worth it. And yes, God is uh, going to do something. And so uh, this is where we are. We're in the part of Revelation chapter 18 where there's this lament over fallen Babylon. And we've seen Babylon mentioned already quite a bit. And, uh, and I mentioned Genesis. It kind of goes all the way back to that. If you think back in Genesis, you have people leaving the Garden of Eden, and it is not too many chapters later that uh, we see this tower being built, this tower of uh, Babel. And Babel that's mentioned in Genesis spelled the same as the Babylon that's mentioned later in the Bible. Um, And so when we hear Babylon, we should always be thinking, does this tie in with the Tower of Babel? And usually the answer is yes. And so, um, but the Tower of Babel was this building it up, making a name for ourselves. We can make our own way to heaven. We don't need God. We can do this, just us. And God says, no, no. That is not how this works. Not at all. And so he has to bring that project to a halt. Well, from then on, you do see not only uh, this big city of empire, or city of Babylon that becomes this whole empire of Babylon later on, but you see all these other, um, these other nations, these other uh, empires even, that resemble Babylon. And when 
John is writing this in, um, in the Roman Empire. There was an awful lot of similarity between the, uh, the ways of ancient Babylon and the ways of the current Roman Empire. And so, um, well, so as he sees Babylon uh, being destroyed, the empire that is, this project has to come to a halt because it is destroying um, my good world, because it is destroying the people who are mine, who have been made in my image. So this is where we, this is where we pick up the story. This is Revelation 18, verses 1 through 20. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves." They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things, the merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, woe, woe to you, great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. There's more to come on this. Um, in fact, next week we'll even be looking at a 
passage that includes a word four times that is only ever included here in the entire New Testament. Um, we'll wait for that till next week. This week, though, we are looking at uh, not only the fall, but the two different reactions to the fall of Babylon. Did you hear the two different reactions? We had one reaction that was uh, given by the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth and every sea captain. Did you hear it? What was their reaction to Babylon falling? They stand far off. They're terrified and they cry out, woe, woe to you, great city. Say in one hour, your doom has come. This is one response. Why is it that the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth and every sea captain, why is it that they are terrified? Why is it that they are uh, crying out, woe, woe to the great city? Why do they see this as such a terrible thing? You may. (laughs) I'll answer for you. (laughs) They are crying out, woe, woe to the great city, because this is the city that, that they have been betting their lives on. They have been trusting in this city's success. They have been investing in this city's success. Like if, if the city does well, they will do well financially. They, this is where they get all of their, um, the kings of the earth that are committing adultery. Where this, this is where they get their power in their own realms. This is where they get their wealth. This is where um, they get all of their prosperity in this life. And so if Babylon falls, they know they're going down too. This is terrible for them because they are realizing in this moment that they have put all their eggs in the wrong basket. But there was another response. Did you hear it? What was the other response? That very last bit that we read. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. That's a different response, isn't it? <laughs> supposed to rejoice in this destruction? Why? It says, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. That what this empire has been doing, and I mean, you read through some of the things in there where it even talks about human beings being sold as slaves. This empire is not living and acting the way that God has created people to live and to act in relationship with one another. We have a whole system of the way of doing things is survival of the fittest. It is you try to get yours and who cares what that does to anybody else? It's a self, self, self first way of interacting with this world. The whole empire set up this way. And the people who are in power, the people who have kind of climbed their way to the top, trampling on everyone else on the way, say, I see nothing wrong with this system. It's actually done quite well for me. And then we have um, those 
who are the people of God, who have been um, treated very poorly. We have people who have been created in the image of God, created, who have been treated very poorly. And at some point, God says to all of this, enough. No more. The tower comes down. And you see that it doesn't take long. And we kind of have this idea that things that take a long time to build will take a long time to destroy. And that's not how it is, is it? You ever see a big construction project where a large building is built? Have you ever seen a demolition project where one is taken down? That's a whole different time scale, isn't it? We say Rome wasn't built in a day, and yet here looking at Babylon, we go, well, but a city can sure come down awful fast. In fact, we have the uh, kind of image for our bulletin cover there. The same language, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the Great. <laughs> great. And um, I have it with the writing on the wall. This, I hope you recognize that reference. This comes from uh, Daniel chapter 5, when this is what happens, <laughs> is there's a writing on the wall, uh, many, many tekel parsons or something like that, where it's, Weighed, divided, and um, what is it? I can't remember. Boy, that's going to bother me. (laughs) Daniel chapter 5, that's where it is. Uh, Numbered, yeah, it is. Numbered, weighed, and then divided. And the, uh, the interpretation of this writing, Daniel is able to interpret it, and he says, that his kingdom is going to be divided and handed over to the Medes and the Persians. And then it says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This was happening in a party. They're having a party that night. Everything's fine. This kingdom's going to last forever. And just like that, it's over. Over. And this is what... uh, This is what this vision is saying, is that we have these empires that seem so sturdy and like there's just, there's all kinds of momentum behind it. And of course it's going to last forever. I mean, think about how long it's taken to put it all together. Doesn't matter. All that is in opposition to God will go away. Sometimes very quickly. And as those who are wanting to um, to live in line with who God is and what he's about, who want to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven, who pray for this regularly, when he uh, does away with all that is in opposition to him, that will be a time of rejoicing. If you were to hear that all sex trafficking in the world stopped in one hour and was over and done forever, what would be your response? Rejoicing, right? We're so glad that there's no more of that. And this is the, um, this is the vision that's given to us. We read the parts where it talks about how there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more, no more tears. Well, how does that happen? Unless you get rid of everything that's causing it. 
There is uh, one more part of this that is really important for us. And that is towards the beginning of what we were reading. Not only is Babylon fallen, but in verse 4, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. This is written to the church. This is written to the church, and it is revealing that this is what is coming. But it also seems to say that the that the church may be pretty tangled up in Babylon too. And so as, this is a call to come out of Babylon, to not be those who are taken in by Babylon or Babylon's ways. And um, we say, oh, that's not a problem. We don't live in Babylon. <laughs> but one of the things that we're supposed to do as we continue to read through the whole Bible is evaluate the ways in which our current times and our current places overlay on the times and places that have gone before us. And um, the season of Lent is a really good time to evaluate the ways in which we have uh, allowed ourselves, even as people who claim the name of Jesus, how we have been shaped by the ways of Babylon. And how we need to come out of that, knowing that everything that is opposed to God will be destroyed. Um, There's a song by uh, Josh Garrels. I'm not going to play for you. (laughs) In fact, uh, I suspect that the genre of music may not be for everybody. But there are some lines in this song I do want to read to you. The song is called Zion and Babylon. So we talked last week that we're in the part of Revelation that's talking about the tale of two cities, Zion and Babylon, the uh, city that is opposed to God and the city of God. Here's some of the lines he uses in this song. He says, it's a misappropriation of funds. Protect my 90% with my guns. Whose side am I on? Well, who's winning? My kingdom's built with the blood of slaves, orphans, widows, and homeless graves, I sold their souls just to build my private mansion. Some people say that my time is coming. Kingdom come is the justice running down, down, down on me. I'm a poor child. I'm a lost son. I refuse to give my love to anyone. Fight for the truth or help the weaker ones because I love my Babylon. That's in the first part of the song, but it ends this way. Zion's not built with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and crippled stand. Sing Alleluia. My kingdom's built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. By your love. Oh, my child, daughters and sons, I made you in love to overcome Free as a bird, my flowers in the sun, on your way to Mount Zion. All you slaves, be set free. Come on out, child, and come on home to me. We will dance, we will rejoice. If you can hear me, then follow my voice. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made.
God, we do thank you for your word. God, we do pray that you would help us. Help us to, um, to hear your word. To hear it as um, the invitation is to an abundant life with you. That is so different than the, um, the cheap imitation that the world offers. God, help us during this time of Lent to um, take serious the call for reflective self-examination as we consider uh, what it means again to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.